Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live, where we're talking about the digital revolution that's touching every part of our lives and the remarkable impacts that have come on that from the global pandemic, which we're now, you know, getting close to six months into this. Our guest today is Wayne Saden, who monthly appears as a digital all-star and talks to us about Saden on digital. Uh, Wayne has been a CTO, a CDO, a CIO, and he currently advises CEOs and boards of directors on how to tie modern digital strategy in with their business strategy to create a digital business strategy that becomes the core of what these companies are doing. Wayne, welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. It's always great to have you. Thank you, Bob. It's a pleasure to be here as always. Wayne, so a couple things interesting. First, uh, I know you're traveling today for the first time in a while, so I, I hope you'll have a chance to mention that and what it's like getting back out on the road for somebody who probably traveled 45 or 50 weeks of the year, most years. And secondly, Wayne, I just want to be sure to congratulate you. I see you're number two on the uh, IT leader power 100 list put up by rise global. So congratulations for that. It's a great recognition. Thank you, Bob. Yeah, it was pretty surprising. Um, there's a lot of people on the list that I look up to. And so for me, it's a uh, hundred people. I know about 50 of them. Now I got to go meet the other 50 and continue the dialogue. There's just not enough of us having these conversations. Yeah, Wayne, <clears throat> that is a, it's a great recognition. And I think the, the opportunity for you to have forums like this, your presence on social media, your ability to take these timely, urgent, and increasingly strategic messages that you get from your experience, your current engagements, your high-level contacts. It's really a, a, a great package. So again, congratulations on that. It's, it's, a, it's a great recognition of the terrific work you're doing. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. So Wayne, you know, a, a few things going on here today, and I've heard people talk about the new normal, the new, new normal. I've heard people talk about the new abnormal. What's your view on, you know, what's, where are we today? What's going on here? And uh, it looks like you've put together a bunch of ideas to try to help leaders adapt and be prepared for this, you know, stunningly different world that uh, we've been immersed in for the last half a year. Well, that's the key. We've been immersed in it for the last half a year, and we've had to make a lot of adjustments. Whether you work in the middle of a company or the executive suite, your world has changed. Your life has changed. Are your kids going back to school or not? Are you working at home with a small child with three dogs? Um, how many meetings have we had where somebody's had a cat sitting on their head? You know, we used to make a deal out of that. Today, it's like, okay, nice cat, and we go on. And so the world has changed, but it's not yet finished changing. We all know that. And so I'm trying to think ahead. You know, what I've, we've been talking about the last few months is how to get ready to, to thrive in this environment. We talked about how to work from home. We talked about how to communicate better, how to collaborate better. But now I think with uh, vaccines in, in phase three, uh, testing, with immune therapies being tested and uh, antibodies and so on, we are going to come out of this. And I think we're going to come out of it very strongly. You know, they talk about the K-shaped recovery, right? Where some are coming like this and some like that. And that's what I foresee. And I think we've talked about that. The companies that are ready to move and are doing things now to get ready to move will emerge at the end of this as the acquirers of other companies that didn't do anything. 
that kind of pulled in their horns and shrunk from, from the challenge. So I'm starting to think about and starting to advise clients about what should you be doing now and what should you be ready to hit the accelerator on so that you're ready when the economy comes back and opens up um, because it's starting. I live in Texas, where in Dallas, where I'm sitting right now, 36% of people have returned to the office. It's the number one wow. city wow. in the United States. Um, Texas is starting to open up even more. Kids are going back to school, and we'll see how that works out. And nobody knows. So, but we know we're going to get over this. I'm a believer in science, a believer in engineering, a believer in the human spirit, and we'll get over this. And now the challenge for us is, how do you come out over here when we get out of this as opposed to down here? Yeah. You don't want to be on the wrong side of that K recovery because Wayne, you know, it's interesting. I think in uh, <clears throat> the outline that you had sent over right at the top of your list is speed and flexibility. And I think it was, uh, it's such a great point and it ties in so well a couple of weeks ago, on the Salesforce earnings call with Mark Benioff, which are always interesting. But the one a couple of weeks ago was just, uh, you know, he just took stuff to a different level. But the number of times in there, he talked about the speed with which customers are, are telling Salesforce, I need to move faster. I need to do things differently. So he said that forced us as a company to operate differently. And a number of times in that earnings call, he said, we are not the same company that we were three months ago, certainly six months ago. He said, we are profoundly different, not just in how we think about things or how we go to market, but every single operational facet of what we do. So I, I was really um, excited to see, you know, with your outline today for some of the things that you wanted to talk about when you kicked that off with number one, speed and flexibility is the key to everything. Well, yeah, the reason for flexibility, uh, I was watching something on the financial news this morning. They had advanced auto parts CEO on. The do-it-yourself industry for car repair is booming because people don't want mechanics working on their car. Also, because while people aren't traveling as much, when they're traveling, they don't want to get on a subway or a bus. So who would have imagined the used car business is through the roof, apparently. Used car dealers are calling people and saying, sell me your old car. Um, I've got an old van sitting in my driveway. I'm going to put a sign on it saying dealers welcome. But who would have guessed that? I thought the car market was going to crater. In fact, it's gone the other way. Who would have thought that Airbnbs would be much more popular than hotels? I've stayed in a couple of hotels. They're clean. They're empty. Now, things are shut down, but I've always felt safe in them. But people have gravitated towards Airbnbs. So you've got to be ready to say, this part of my business will go like that. And this part of my business will go like that in a way that I might not have predicted. Because I don't think anybody predicted the used car market, the do-it-yourself trend. But the guy also said now he's selling a lot more batteries. Because when you don't start your car as often, the batteries go bad faster. So how do you pivot from making, maybe you're making carburetors and now you got to make batteries. Or what is it, Ford was, or GM pivoted from cars to respirators, ventilators, now to masks. Did you see that Apple is making masks for their employees that are apparently revolutionary design? Who would have thunk that six months ago? So having a business that can sense and respond, that can say, what are people buying? What are we making? What's selling? Where is it in our supply chain is key. Uh, I was reading about Trek bicycles. I have bought several bicycles in the last few months. I used to bike all the time. 
And then I stopped. I live in Texas. It's flat and it's hot. But now there are no gyms. So I bought a bike. And I bought two bikes, in fact. And apparently the Trek Bicycle Company, which is one of the larger companies, they said, oh, we better hunker down. We better not buy things. Who's going to buy a bike? And they apparently looked at their sales figures after two weeks and called Shimano in Japan, the manufacturer of components, and said, sell me everything you've got. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be first getting back into market, apparently, because they pivoted faster and took a risk. Wayne, well, you know, uh, I wanted to ask about that. You know, it's, it's a great anecdote there with Trek, but uh, when you talked a minute ago about sense and respond, I, I, th I think that's absolutely right. But this is a different sort of the second part of that, the respond part is different than it used to be, right? You know, we, we've had the sense and respond thing for a while, but there's a, there's a shorter time for responding, right? So it's, it's almost like sense and swarm. Uh, that, that point that you just brought up about the bike company, sell me everything you have after they had expected things to go down. So we think we know what to anticipate, but that's based on a history that has little or nothing to do with what the future might be. So this time, and I think your call to action on people, be ready, be prepared, get your head up, be ready to move and be ready to do things different than they have before. So it touches on speed, it touches on flexibility, it touches on leadership, but that sense and response thing is true, but it's going to be different, right? Like everything's different, but that respond part has to be wildly accelerated. I agree. And so I think when I talk to clients, I talk about the three aspects they have to fix. Data acquisition, what is going on? Today, we all operate in the field. We're at customer sites, we're at warehouses, we're at retail stores, we're at points of, points of sales and service. And so how do we get that data into our system quickly? That's data acquisition. That's mobility, that's internet of things, that's asking our car how many miles it went so we can tell it it needs an oil change instead of waiting for the little light to come on and somebody calling for an appointment. So that's the first step is data acquisition. Then data aggregation. The problem in the past has been some of the data went here and some of the data went there and some of the data went nowhere into an Excel spreadsheet. So we have to aggregate it. That's the function typically of an ERP or a core system in banking or an EHR in the medical field, electronic health record system. So we got to aggregate it. And then the third level, now that we've acquired it and aggregated it, is the analytics layer. Mm -hmm. the, the, that's the point you were just making, is what do we do with that data? What do we do with the trend we just saw? And so the better we are at forecasting, the better we are at getting data, the better we are at aggregating data in a single place, and the better we are at analytics, allows us to do what you said, is to move quicker in making those bold strategic moves. Yeah, wow. And in the manufacturing world, Wayne? In manufacturing, again, I said the car companies went from cars to ventilators to masks to who knows what it might be next week. It might be swimming pools for bears to cool off in California. I don't know. Um, but they don't know either. And so the challenge in manufacturing is you hear industry 4.0, you hear about flexible manufacturing, you hear about robotics. Um, all of these trends are coming together. When, when you look at robotics, which I have a particular interest in robotics, if you've got a social distance in your factory, one way you can do that is replace every other workstation with a robot. The meatpacking industry is going through terrible infections, obviously. So one of the solutions has been to put robots in on the line 
So I, instead of a person, a person, a person, a person, now it's a person, a robot, a person, a robot. Until I can rebuild the entire factory, which we should talk about, what a factory is gonna look like for the next few years, I can put robotics on the line. Now, to put robotics on the line, I have to have better AI, augmented intelligence in my view, a person guiding it potentially. I've got to have better communications, call that 5G, because I've got to be able to sense and respond. The robot arm moves, it touches something, how fast can I get the signal back and then make a decision and then send it back to say, don't move any further, you'll break something. So being able to close that real-time loop makes a huge difference in running a remote operation. And we say manufacturing, I'm just gonna say, that could be healthcare, that could be retail, that could be manufacturing. The robots are coming, and I think the pandemic means they're coming sooner. Yeah, yeah. Wayne, uh, I'm gonna take a, a break here quickly for a word from our sponsor, BMC. In a world that's changing faster than ever before, the biggest challenge for businesses is creating fabulous customer experiences. That objective requires actionable insights and real-time agility from one end of your business to the other. At BMC, they call this the Autonomous Digital Enterprise, and they've put together a set of solutions to help you anticipate what's coming, adjust accordingly, and acknowledge those changes from end to end. To start your journey to the Autonomous Digital Enterprise, visit bmc.com slash ADE. Um, Wayne, those, this, this uh, sort of instant sense of change, of awareness, of analysis, of action of you know appropriate insights it, it really is as you said bringing this future change together so i tend to agree with you quite strongly i i don't see this being of like a you know two three four five year malaise of or you know uh where we enter this sort of world where everybody is wondering you know what's going to happen where are things going to go i think there's going to be a time of great discovery here both on what's happening with the medical field. And I think that's going to trigger things through all these industries, as you've just described here. And I also wanted to ask you, Wayne, because I know you wanted to talk about the new supply chain. Even this notion of industries is going to change. You mentioned GM. They made cars. They were trying to restructure. They were asked to make respirators and ventilators. Then they made masks. Now, with what you've said about the booming car business, they've tried probably trying to figure how do we ramp up production appropriately? So these uh, Apple making masks, these, these swings, are they going to call it the eye mask, by the way? <laughs> I don't think they've named it yet, but they'll have a catchy name, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So Wayne, talk about this new supply chain. Well, we talked about manufacturing. We've got to get more flexible in the factory to the point you're making. We've got to figure out, and I'll say, let me go back on something you said. Companies have to ask themselves what business they're in. Um, I used to live in, in Michigan, and obviously the car industry started that there in America. And so there were companies that when they saw themselves going from horse-drawn carriages where they made the buggy whips to cars, they said, we're in the buggy whip business, we're going out of business. Other companies said, we're in the leather accessories for transportation business and pivoted to driving gloves. Mm -hmm. So ask yourself what business you're in. Well, I got hired by an armored car company a number of years ago. They said, you're a bank guy. We want a bank guy in our business. And a month after I got there, I said, you got the right guy, but not for what you think. We're not a bank. You are a manufacturing company. You turn messy piles of money into neat piles of money 
and deliver them in the right package, an ATM cassette in a cash drawer. And so you're actually a job shop manufacturer. Let's reconfigure the company around job shop manufacturing because you're never going to be a bank. And so you've got to ask yourself, even though my product is X, what business am I in? And so I think that's the key is to really look into your business and say, what are we good at? I've worked for a couple of companies that had a product they sold and they said, we're sales companies that happen to sell this product. Mm -hmm. And we could sell a different product through the same sales channel. Other companies say we're in the energy business or we're in the telecom business. And if the market shifts, they're they go out of business. Yeah. Don't be that yeah. latter, be the former. So anyway, going, going to supply chain, after you've built the stuff, made the stuff, you got to get it from where you make it to where people need it. And we're seeing the change. We realize that lean manufacturing just in time and supply chains that span the world for critical items did not work well during the pandemic. It was tough to have your raw materials in another country that had an embargo. It's tough to say, I'm going to be great and source my product where I have 17 countries all providing goods for this product. But what if two of them can't deliver? What do you do? So companies are moving towards more nearshore, more onshore, um, and trying to get, I say the, what they talk about the diet we're supposed to be on, we're supposed to add some healthy fat. So I think companies need to add healthy fat to their lean and say maybe two days worth of inventory is not the right number. Maybe it's two weeks. So people have to rethink their supply chain with the notion that I've got to be able to survive a disruption that I might not have anticipated before. You know, it's a hurricane, it's regional, it's short. It's an earthquake, it's regional, it's short. It's a winter storm, it's regional, it's short. Six months is a different kind of disruption. And I think people are realizing that those that had stuff could make money. Those that didn't have stuff found themselves at the other end of the value chain. Wayne, yeah, all these uh, <clears throat> new dynamics in the marketplace, and you, you've touched uh, you know, brilliantly on some of these. I wanted to add one because a few minutes ago, you talked about swimming pools. Uh, we spent a lot of time this summer up at Lake Erie. So even up there where there's you know, one of the world's greatest freshwater swimming pools right in front of you, you know, it gets very hot up there in the summer. There's big demand for swimming pools. A guy I know who's in the, the plumbing supply business said, there is a two-year backlog if you live in that region and want a swimming pool. Uh, he said it's, it's not supply constrained or anything. He said it is demand constrained. He said the behavior of people today is just different. Your anecdotes about bikes, uh, you know, coming in in such a different way, Airbnb versus hotels. So, I think that the, this point you make about what business are companies in, and they can't just sort of do that as sort of like a theoretical exercise. They got to hammer that down through every part of the organization. Like you said, we're not a bank. We're a job shop manufacturer. So act like one, behave like one, execute like one. But, you know, to your swimming pool story, think about the gym business. And I used to have, I, I was a board member <laughs> and investor in a fitness business. The world of touch me fitness in a gym is changing. And so what's happening? People are adding intelligence to their products. You know, a theme that I want to keep talking about is everything I'm talking about means we got to get smarter about something. If it's supply chain, if I had three warehouses, 
I had a whiteboard somewhere and somebody kept my inventory in small, smaller companies, you know, below the Fortune 100. Mm-hmm. I had three warehouses I could manage it on a whiteboard. And you'd be shocked how many bigger companies are managing off whiteboards in Excel. If I've got 20 warehouses now, or I got 20 warehouses and 50 sub warehouses where I'm keeping stock for clients, all of a sudden I need software. I need warehouse management software. I need transportation management software. When I talked about the acquire aggregate analytics, that implies really in my mind, a SaaS based ERP system. You're not gonna do it with disparate systems running on laptop computers. So if you're talking about the fitness industry, what's happening? We have the mirror, which is a physical mirror with the intelligence to help you exercise. We have the Peloton, which is obviously the interactive experience. My yoga studio turned in, I do yoga, it turned into literally a video production studio. They, they've outfitted it like a video studio yeah. and they sell the classes to us and we do them at home. So people who can pivot can now do well. My yoga instructor could take 20 people in a class. Now she uses Zoom. I don't know how many she sells to, I have no clue, but she could have a thousand. Mm-hmm. So how do you change this problem into an opportunity? And those that are able to pivot to add information, to add analytics, and to make better decisions are all going to be there during and after the pandemic. So, Wayne, early on, you mentioned uh, Texas, 36%, or in the Dallas area, 36% of workers haven't gone back to offices or headquarters. Um, if you would use that as a data point to a larger theme, what's your sense now here in mid-September of the work from home revolution and what impact could something like 5G have on that? Well, there's lots of impacts happening. The first thing to recognize is work from home for a lot of company works and people are not going to willingly give that up. It may be something some CEOs are famous for saying work from home is not a good idea. You know, Reed Hastings, the interview with him. Um, Okay, maybe there are people who don't believe in it. I've got clients that believe everybody should come back as soon as possible but we can get more work out of people. We get more flexibility out of their workday. We can have them there if we need them for an eight o'clock at night meeting. They can do that because they've taken four hours during the day off to homeschool their kids, number one. Number two, there's a trust factor. There's an Edelman survey that just came out that said employees don't trust their employer. They don't trust their government. They don't trust anybody because there's so much information we don't know. And, you know, I'm an engineer by training, so I look at the medical stuff from an engineering perspective. It's not that they're misleading us. It's not that they're stupid. It's the information's not there. But what we know is that air handling is a key. Now, I used to be an engineer before I was an IT guy, and I built a lot of air handling systems. So the American Society for Refrigeration Air Conditioning Engineers, ASHRAE, has got a bunch of COVID standards on what should be your air handling in an office building. And so I'll predict that office buildings are going to change quite a bit over the next few years, and they're gonna be equipped with UV sterilizers, electrical arc sterilizers, uh, uh, various high capacity, high integrity filters, automated filter monitoring. And when I can say to my employee, my air in my space is changed X times per hour and is sterilized between being blown through your building, people will feel better about it. But on the other hand, look, REI just built a huge new headquarters. I think of a building it for three years. 
and they've announced they're never going to occupy it. What they're doing instead is they're building distributed, call them pods, I don't know what they're going to call them. So instead of having to commute into our office, 50 of you can work here and 20 of you can work there and 100 here. And so the, the notion of work, even if we come together to work, I think is going to change a lot. And so if you're an executive, my comment to you as an executive, we talked about this before, is learn how to be comfortable on video. Learn how to be comfortable running a thousand person meeting. Learn how to use the tools. And if you're an employee, it's understand what makes your workplace safe and then insist that your employer or your landlord or whoever provide that accommodation so that we can feel comfortable. When, uh, you know, when you, you, you talk about these, uh, these shifting, they're paradigms in a way, right? Like how people do this. You know, there were a number of great points you made there about the benefit to the company, but you also, toward the end, you said, in the case, we can talk to an employee at eight o'clock at night, they can participate in a meeting, and that's part of the trade-off for having homeschooled the kids for four hours. And I, I would really love in this trust-driven environment that you've talked about, if you could get some real believable data, credible data, it would say the number of people that looked at this and just said, I used to have to drive, you know, your points about commute in a car, in a train, in a subway, in a bus, whatever it's like, you know, we say, well, I can take my iPad, I can do some work on this, that, but it's, it's not quite the same. And it's still, you get from one point to another before February. It, I don't think a lot of people say, gosh, the best part of my day is commuting. It is just terrific, right? We can try to listen to audio books or music, you know, whatever we want, but it's generally, most people I think, think it's pretty crappy. So your employer says, you, hey, I will give you back an hour and a half of your life and you will not have to undergo that commuting thing. I got to think, Wayne, that there's, you know, is it a half, two thirds of people might say, I mean, I'll take that deal. That is fantastic. And yes, I'll expand the aperture for my availability and working on the other side. And I think this could lead to, you know, whether that's changes in the gig economy or employees having different sort of career possibilities, you know, it's just going to open up a lot of things to change. And I think it goes back to the point you're making about a new type of, if not leader, then a new type of leadership, more open to things, different ways of ideas. And the fact that it was not how you did it in the past does not mean that it's unsuitable for this very different future. So I, I think these challenges that you're putting forward and these ideas you're suggesting to CEOs and boards of directors are so powerful. There, there's no element, if you look at a whole 360 degree from people and careers to operations to how you think about your company and where you hire and what you do, REI builds a building for three years and never occupies it. It's got to be a totally different way of thinking about the world, looking at the world and being ready to pounce on opportunities wherever they present themselves. So it's a, it's a terrific message, Wayne. I know you had a couple other thoughts about that that you wanted to be sure to, to share. Well, I'll riff on something you said. I've been a gig worker for a number of years where I've had multiple clients in different parts of the country, different parts of the world, and I'm able to shift my attention from one to the other. If I had a travel to commute to get there, I would have fewer opportunities to spread myself around. So where the typical employee now works for one company at a time and we talk about having a side gig, I think maybe at some point your actual 
day job that W2s you will be your side gig because you can do it four hours a week or eight hours a week or 10 hours a week. Now, again, my, my clients tend not to be the Fortune 50. They tend to be the mid-sized companies, say half a billion to 10 billion. They can use somebody like me part-time. They can use somebody like me episodically. I've got a project. I have a, I trained an entire board of directors in how to participate in virtual board meetings. And I taught them teams and I, some of them, I set up equipment in their home remotely, shipping stuff and then walking them through plugging stuff in. How do you get that kind of thing? You can't get a help desk employee to, to work with the board members typically, but I was able to do it. I'm a very expensive help desk person, but in this case, it was warranted because it was board level. Um, so how do we get the kind of skill set that some of us have and multiply that? And how does that become the norm? Instead of employees being people who come Monday to Friday, nine to five, they're employees who come when they're needed, do the job they're needed, bill you for what they do and move on. And employees are gonna like that. There's a little more control. There's a lot less driving. Look, I'm a New Yorker. I grew up in, in Far Rockaway, Queens and took the A train and then took another train down to Wall Street. And, and Bob, the key of my day was I was the first stop of the A train. Uh, so okay. I could pick up my journal. I could fold it up, you know how to fold, you, you're, you're, you could fold up the journal and to be this big, and I would sit on the train like this, but I always had a seat, you see. And so for me, the commute wasn't terrible. And by the way, the Long Island Railroad was equidistant from my house, so at night I came home on the Long Island Railroad because I got the comfort and safety. So when you have that kind of commute, and then I worked on the 37th floor of a building with a data center, and I'll, re I'll never forget, we had to get a new mainframe. And the mainframe was lowered by helicopter. And we took the side of the bank building off and we dragged the bay, I, I watched. They dragged a mainframe into the 35th floor of a skyscraper in lower Manhattan. And they thought this was normal. <laughs> now think about the world where mainframes are lowered by helicopters to downtown buildings. And then think about the world we're in now, where by the way, no matter how much power you need in computer, you write a check to Google or Amazon or Microsoft or Oracle or whoever. I mean, the world has changed so much, Bob. And, and we've all, the, the CEOs, the C-suites, the boards have got to recognize, you got to rethink your employee relationship. You got to rethink your supply chain. You got to rethink your product and your market. And you've got to be able to sense and respond and move quickly. And that's the message. The, the race will not go necessarily to the swift, it will go to the nimble who can do that. And that's the message. And, and I'm a technology guy, so I can't not say, if you have the right technology, if you have the cloud-based, multi-cloud, but uh, Salesforce and Snowflake was a terrific announcement. Um, if you've got the, the SaaS ERP, the, the low-code stuff, the IoT, the 5G, we can make alphabet soup out of the end here. Board members, CEOs, if you have the right you know, IT infrastructure and the right mindset, you will be more nimble than your competitor. And that's my, my final point is if you are correctly managing your technology investment and marrying that to your flexibility of your business, you can do great things. Wayne, it would seem then from what you've just said, that excellent concluding point there that um, the, the CIO role, I'm, I'm using that uh, 
that title broadly is going to be more important than ever, but it's got to be filled by a person who is able to see things from that perspective, not from, you know, technology out. Oh yeah. Uh, you and I have talked about that before. Um, I'll say what I say to CEOs all the time. The CEO gets the CIO they settle for. And I cannot tell you, I'm doing another engagement now with somebody that wants me to help them write a job description for their next CIO, where the people running the company do not know what a job description for a real CIO should look like. And they're paying me to help them with that. And so that's good, but it's also scary. Why don't they know? But so I'll say this to the CEO and to the board. If you can, if in meeting them socially, you can tell you have a CIO you're talking to, you have the wrong one. A quick story. I joined a company and the first week I was there, there was a board meeting. So I was invited to the board dinner to meet the board of directors. And so here we are having dinner and I'm sitting with a couple of board members and after a two hour conversation with food and wine, they said, so what exactly do you do for the company? And I said, I run IT. And the board member looked at me and said, I never would have guessed. One of the nicest things anybody ever said to me. <laughs> well, this isn't on that level, Wayne, but I will say another nice thing to you. Congratulations again on being named, uh, you know, number two on that list. That's pretty prestigious. And there's some terrific folks on there. And I think it speaks to the timeliness and the, um, you know, the essential nature of not just the field you're in, but how you look at things. Because I think what you concluded with there speaks to exactly the sort of outlook we've been fortunate enough here on Cloudwords Live. So, Wayne, it's been wonderful. And uh, thanks for the great ideas today. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and uh, react to the things you've got to say to me. It's fun. All right. Well, thanks, Wayne. And folks, to all of you, thanks very much as well. Hope it's been a great summer for you. We're here in uh, middle September, things are kicking off, uh, you know, in the business world again, things are heating up. Hope everything's going well with kids back to school and other sorts of issues like that. Uh, I will add a personal note here in less than a month, I become a grandfather. So uh, I will, you know, drop little nuggets about uh, that experience as we go forward. Thanks, everyone. We look forward to seeing you next time.